Hi, I'm Mick Elliott, and I'm here the amazing Booktopia headquarters, Booktopia HQ, BHQ they call it, and I'm with the incredible Sarah and Olivia. Sarah currently having a laughing fit, and it's forced me to actually open the podcast so I could talk about my new book, Squidge Dibley Destroys the School, the greatest book ever published for kids. How was that, Sarah? Did that work? I love it. I also am now exclusively referring to this place as BHQ. BHQ? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've just been fired. <laughs> <laughs> no, bad vibes, bad vibes. Oh, indeed. So, <laughs> tell us about Squidge Dibley Destroys the School. Well, Squidge Dibley Destroys... Oh, that's right. I thought we were joking. We have a lot of debate. No, no, do no, no, business. No, no. <laughs> Everyone's losing it. I wish I'm we had a video here. I keep, I keep looking, though. I keep on looking. <laughs> Anyone that's listening to this, just I keep on looking at the microphone as if it's a camera. <laughs> Expecting that the, this is going to be some sort of visual. I should just look at you two. Really no, nobody look at me and we'll not be able to get through this podcast. Right. Okay, can, no can eye we, contact we... with Liv from this okay. onwards. <laughs> can, we, can you hear, can anyone listening hear how really awkward it is right now? <laughs> super awkward in here. I'm just going to keep I just the still don't know whether we're actually doing the podcast or not. Are we I'm keeping it. It's <laughs> excellent content. This is yes. what the world wants to hear from Booktopia. All right. But, but, but everyone, you've listened to that already, but let's now, let's now do the official Opening, perhaps. Do you want to? Great. Welcome to the Booktopia Podcast. <laughs> I'm Sarah McDilling. I'm here with my amazing colleague, Liv. Hello. Frico. And we are here sitting opposite Mick Elliott to talk about his brand new book, Squidge Dibley Destroys the School. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, at, at BHQ. At BHQ. Booktopia Headquarters. Booktopia Headquarters. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. And could you, for the people listening, just explain a little bit, because this is the first book in a brand new series, a yes, little bit is. about who Squidge Dibley is and why he's destroying the school. Yes, well, uh, Squidge Dibley Destroys the School is the story of a very, very unusual kid. Um, it's set at a school called Craglands South Primary, and Craglands South Primary um, is a very, very unusual school uh, in that it has a Year 6 class who collectively are the worst Year 6 class ever. They're all really great kids on their own, but there's something about the chemistry of them all being together, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this. That sometimes at school, just when you're in class with some other kids and students, things just got really crazy, just created chaos, and this one Year 6 class is full of all these really, really hilarious characters who just create chaos. And the book opens with them basically going through a revolving door of teachers. They just keep on driving crazy. They prank one of them, put slugs in his coffee cup, and he has to leave because he can't deal. Another teacher just drops dead in the middle of class. And they go through teacher after teacher until finally no one will teach at the school or teach that class anymore. Um, and so their class is taken over by the horrible, awful vice principal, Hoovesley, uh, who's actually based on some of my own teachers from high school. I mean, he's horrible, disciplinarian, doesn't let them talk, doesn't let them blink. He's obsessed with uh, the kids having to do swimming training every single week, no matter what. Um, and he's just a really, really awful, awful character. Even sharpens his fingernails with an electric pencil sharpener. And, um, and he just has really driven them all into the ground. He's running the whole class like a concentration camp. So things seem pretty bad for the kids until one day, in the third story window, a new kid appears, and his name is Squidge Dibley. And Squidge Dibley is quite small, he's got a squeaky little voice, and he carries this mysterious little suitcase. And in his suitcase are a whole bunch of letters from uh, various doctors about some <laughs> peculiar medical conditions that Squidge has. 
Um, he's got one thing called bungee bones, which is like if anyone tries to like uh, shove him or pull him in one direction, his body stretches. Um, he, his body can inflate. If he gets submerged in water, he blows up like a big blue whale. But the thing about Switch, he can't help it. It just happens. Um, he's actually a really lovely, lovely kid, and these things just happen around him. So really the book is about what happens when you put a kid like Squidge, who is complete chaos encapsulated, in a, a classroom which is run by a disciplinarian, Vice Principal Hoovesley. He's got 200 illustrations in it, illustrations on every page and um yeah i mean it's, it's a book for kids who and readers who love books like tom gates and the treehouse series and diary of a wimpy kid and so on i was chuckling the whole way through this at the moments where i wasn't being grossed out <laughs> because there's a lot of amazing there's a lot of amazing gross humor <laughs> there is a warning on the back I should, I should, there's a warning on the back that, that the amazing publishers has shed put on the back uh too gross for grown-ups and that was that was their requirement really they said yes Mick we'll publish this but we love it but we are going to have to put a warning on the back that says too gross for grown-ups because we could have lawsuits grown-ups everywhere must be warned <laughs> but it's so funny and I'm horrified to learn that our vice principal Hoosley is based on a real person <laughs> yeah yeah well there's one I mean it, it, you know that thing at school where there's sort of all these there's often rumors about teachers oh did you know that this happened this happened there's a rumor about him that um he apparently drop kicked a, a kid out of a window years ago um, and that is actually based on a, on a real life teacher I had at high school um, uh, who literally threw a kid out a window. It um, wasn't third that's, story. Uh, yeah, you could get away so with that in the 80s. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah I loved when he was listing all the rules when he showed up and he was like, no talking unless you raise your hands. No raising your hands. Yeah. Oh, he likes to play <laughs> mind games. He likes the mind games. I mean, the, the main thing with, I mean, writing villains is great. I loved writing Vice Principal Hoosley in this book. But um, uh, the main thing was I just, I was, I'm always perplexed when I was a student, the teachers who seem to hate kids. And I get it, like, people don't like their jobs and stuff, but they're those teachers who actually, like, legitimately seem to hate kids. It's like, what What are you doing here? <laughs> like, there are other jobs that you can do, surely. Move on. Anyway, so, but I wanted want to draw on that with Vice Principal Hoosley. It's like, why, why is this man in such a position of power over kids when he actually seems to legitimately loathe them? And I think what? it's the power. They just love the power. I think that's and it, isn't it? The kids are, like, so young that you can be in that position to exert it and no one will say anything because that's kind of what you're meant to do. Or maybe he started out as an amazing teacher and then over the years... Oh, he got worn down. That's sad. But there is an example of a great teacher in this book as well. Yes. Yeah, there there is a great teacher in the book who um, who in a way sort of comes to save the day, Miss Trigley, um, without giving too much away um, about what happens. And uh, Because I also wanted to have some really good role models because while while this is a book for kids, um, it's it's really, really important to me. It was the same with my previous series, The Churners, as well. Um, You know, I want want adults to be able to enjoy this book as well. Um, You know, I, I love reading with my son every night. He's eight years old. And he, he loves books like, um, he loves, you know, the Captain Underpants series and Dogman and so on. And, um, and they're fun to read together. And so, you know, while I, I deliberately have pushed this gross-out humour in the book, you know, I, I wanted to ensure that it wasn't just gross-out humour for its own sake. There is real heart there and there's actually characters that are relatable. And, and I also tried to make sure that there was a really diverse group of characters in there as well. A hundred percent, all of which I think you achieved beautifully. It's a very funny book. It's an amazing cast. I'm like already uh, thinking that it's going to be fun to see them again. Um, are you able to tell us much about 
the next one? Yes, right. yes. So, so Squidge Dibley is a series. So Squidge Dibley Destroys the School is the first in the series. Um, just just finishing the second book now, which will be out in November. That's Squidge Dibley Destroys the Galaxy. Um, and in the first book, obviously, we're introduced to the whole class. And I, I, I was sort of establishing the world in the first book and establishing mm-hmm. all the little hobbies and interests of all different kids in the class. And the plan is that over the subsequent books, different kids will come to the fore a little bit more. Um, well, all the series will be uh, you know, narrated by um, Squidge's friend Padman O'Donnell. Um, he's a lovely, funny character. Um, it's all seen through his eyes. Um, but there's a, a girl in the book called Leanna. Leanna is an absolute space nut. And in the second book, um, an astronaut comes to talk at the school and the kids have a chance to uh, to potentially go to space camp. Uh, yeah, so the second book is uh, Squidge Diddly Destroys the Galaxy, um, which will come out in November. And then the third book, uh, which will come out in early 2020, is uh, Squidge Diddly Destroys Everything. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're upping the ante. <laughs> Who comes after everything? Well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe you have to go smaller again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got so many ideas of where Squeeze could go. So, um, yeah, really, really looking forward to it, connecting with kids and connecting with audiences. Well, he's so, great, yeah. He's a great character. You must have so much fun drawing him. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, I, I'm I'm not a trained, like, I'm not a professional illustrator, but I've always been a doodler. Like right right back to primary school, I'd be constantly getting in trouble for doodling in the edge of the margins, um, and even right through to high school. In fact, the biggest trouble I ever got in in high school. <laughs> uh, this is going to be defaming myself here, but um, my, I I I, <laughs> I decided to commission a series of uh, life portraits of my teachers. In my friend uh, Warren Blake's diary and um, they, were, they were pretty realistic pictures and no one was meant to see them apart from me and, uh, and Warren and, uh, but Warren thought it, uh, the best way to keep them secret would be to leave the book open uh, during uh, religion and um, the religion was actually taught by the school disciplinarian who saw them and called us into his office and um, I got into a lot of trouble um, and, and you know, I remember uh, this teacher saying it Michael, you know, my teacher would call me, Michael, these are the wor- these are the most disgusting drawings <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I thought that was really unfair to the teachers because they were actually were pretty realistic drawings. <laughs> I thought so. Well, I'm only showing you what's there. Um, anyway, but I've always been a doodler. I've always loved to, to draw. And um, so the previous series, The Turners, um, was, was purely prose. Um, but I, I really, I've seen how my son and I've seen how kids really, really connect um, with, with the genre of books that have uh, illustrations, line illustrations, heavily integrated throughout the text. Mm. Um, and so when I set out to write this story, I thought I really want the text and the illustrations to interplay on every single page. Um, and it's a different type of writing, uh, but I had a lot of fun with it and I had a lot of fun with working out when shall I describe something or when shall I let the pictures do the talking? Um, and, and I also wanted to really just push push the envelope in terms of what, what's shown there. I mean, I, I, I adore the Treehouse series. I adore Diary of a Wimpy Kid and Tom Gates. And I, I love the way that those uh, respective authors tell mm-hmm. their stories through the visual medium on the page and um, really wanted to do the same with Switch Dibley. So how did it compare for you as an experience having written without illustrating and then and then illustrating was it longer or more difficult? Less it's, it's difficult? a really it's it's a really good question. I thought it would be easier. <laughs> I have to say because um, you know, obviously the word length is a bit shorter. Um, you know, the turners were about fifty thousand words each. These are just under twenty thousand, with the rest being illustrations. Um, and so I, I really did think it. Oh, okay, now I've done I've done the text now. That's pretty much done. Um, now I get on with the drawings, and it took so long. <laughs> but I, I absolutely loved it. And I got some. You know what? What I what I really love about the um, children's book industry in Australia 
apart from just so many great booksellers and um, you know, like Booktopia and so many you know, great um, <laughs> teachers and librarians out there, you know, supporting the idea of, of, of kids and reading. Um, but there's a lot of support amongst other authors and illustrators as well. So, so I came from a TV background and uh, I've always felt like a bit of an interloper uh, into the uh, children's uh, literature scene. Um, but what I found is it's incredibly supportive um, and you know, I was very, very lucky when I was just starting on my illustrations to bump into a number of different illustrators at some uh, kids' literature festivals and who gave me some really, really great advice. And prob- I'd probably still be you know, working on the drawings now if I hadn't have got some really great advice from other illustrators in the industry. That's so great to hear. And actually, mm-hmm. you, you do hear it often from... Um from people who have maybe previously, like particular people who've just written their biography and maybe had a career in music or mm. on TV, um, that they uh, feel like the book industry is so welcoming, like no one's thinking, what are you doing writing a book? Like that's not what you no, do. No, not at all. Books go everywhere and everyone sort of feels like, I mean, I think there's a perception that maybe if uh, they want a book from everyone. Like if you've if you've liked liked someone's music, you want to read their book, right? If you've liked yeah. them on TV, you want to read their book. I think it's that's good true. To hear. I think that's true, and it's certainly um, yeah. I mean, certainly my my experience um, with I mean, Hashed are amazing, um, and they've been so supportive. And I think when, when you're when you're outside, you don't have a sense of what the industry is. Um, you know, you think it's all these, you know, just really hard, nasty, <laughs> oh, we'll publish this if we want to. We might, you know, throw you $2 to publish it and we'll make the cover the way we want it. But actually, um, you know, what, what they're, they're trying to do is, is to ensure that your, your book connects with an audience and they take mm. an incredible amount of care. Um, and, you know, again, having come from a TV background and worked on many, many productions and seeing the amount of care that goes to get, you know, uh, the finished product made, I, I, I had sort of a respect for what that involves and I, you know, I, I didn't want to be an author that was precious about um, about the content. I wanted to make sure that I was drawing on the publisher's mm. um, expertise because they know what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're, you know, their job is to make sure that the book connects. Their job is to make sure that readers like what they see and that it resonates with booksellers. And um, so, you know, I, I never had any problem placing incredible amount of trust in uh, in the the, uh, the team there. And, and they're great. I mean, like I said, Hashit are excellent. I've got an amazing publisher, amazing editor. Yeah. And like, you can tell they really, really care. Like, they really care about making great books well that's the thing about this industry i think is that we all are in it because we love stories and everything's mm-hmm. stories that's true like um if you've been anywhere in the entertainment industry you're basically telling a story that's that's absolutely true yeah that's absolutely true that's <laughs> true um kind of along those lines you're an ambassador for australian reading hour yes this year, aren't you yes i am yeah and um it, it's such an it's an incredible initiative um I, I got involved last year um and it's such a great idea because right right now we're at a place where um there's there's, there's so many competing distractions with kids and reading um and you know i'm not i'm not like a luddite i'm not a technophobe um about you know digital technology and, and ipads and iphones and so on um they're, they're incredible tools, but um, they, they are another competing distraction for kids. And uh, what I've seen, uh, particularly both uh, from my own experience as a parent, um, but also in, in the many, many school talks and festival visits I've, uh, I've seen and I've heard from teacher librarians, is that we do face a very, very great challenge with boys in particular. Um, we see that reading rates amongst boys drop off around about the age of, of 11, 12. Many don't come back. Many um, have to be forced to even read uh, school set textbooks um, if, and if they come back it's usually in their 20s and at best you know they might read a few sports bios and so on um, and it's, it's such a terrible shame so so part of what um, 
my personal philosophy is on it is let's let's make books that connect with kids that kids just love reading let's let's not sort books into good books or bad books let's just go read whatever it is it doesn't matter whether it's a, an illustrated um comedy series like scrutably it doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's a lego technical manual it doesn't matter if it's an encyclopedia it doesn't matter what it is just read just get engaged mm-hmm. with the written word um because i think it's 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 um it can be hard. It can be challenging to to get a reluctant reader to engage with the book. But gosh, it's easy to stop them. It's easy to mm-hmm. force something onto them. Go read this because it's good for you. And it's actually it's not something that's at their level, or it's something that the person forcing upon them really likes themselves. It is totally not right. But I do think there are lots of I've met so many amazing teacher librarians out there, and you know they're they're under a lot of pressure from budgets and so on in schools with budgets being cut for schools and so on, which is just you know just an absolute catastrophe in 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 the making. Um, but there's great teacher librarians out there can can know a child and know a student go okay well I, I know that child's reading level and I know the sort of sense of humor they've got and I know the sort of interest they have so I'm gonna I'm gonna offer them this book to read and it only takes one because books are a gateway to the next thing you know so, yeah. so I'm very very passionate about it and um, the Australian Reading Hour is just such a great event each year um, had an amazing experience last year with um the author Oliver Pomavan, we went up to a very small country town school in Yetman and, and did a special school workshop for them for this tiny little school in the middle of drought-stricken New South Wales. Um, and we've got some fun things planned for this September as well. So get involved. <laughs> Sounds awesome. And you've written a mini Squidge Dibley book. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So um, so right now, um, just putting the finishing touches on a very, very special, um, sort of the unofficial sequel to Squidge Dibley. It's Squidge Dibley Destroys History. Um, and that's going to be, it's, it's, a, it's a novella, a short novella um, of, of a, another Squidge Dibley story where um, a history assignment in class goes terribly, terribly wrong um, uh, for Squidge and his classmates. And again, it's a lovely, um, it's a funny story. And it's actually going to be available for just $2.99 as one of five books which the Australian Reading Hour are distributing um, uh, to celebrate the Reading Hour this year, and, and the whole idea is his book. It's only it's less than three dollars, mm. um, and and uh, we're encouraging readers, encouraging parents to buy the books for their kids um, and just get them reading. Get them reading any way you can. It's a great initiative. It really is. Yeah. So good. <laughs> we're really looking forward to it. I know. <laughs> Just like go up to my boss and be like, "Can I just have like one hour just to read?" It's for it's know, such for a great idea. Oh yeah, I'm it's campaigning hard for that. Idea. Yeah, I'm like, like I know. Your lunch hour live. Yeah, it's like you can do that in your own time, or <laughs> or we can embrace it during the workday. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned your career um, in TV. That's right. Yes. So can we go back to before the tennis? Yes. And just um, can you tell us? Did you always know that you would write a book or did it sort of... Um, well, as I said, I worked in TV. I worked for Nickelodeon, which is you know, one of the... the Disney, probably the, the biggest children's TV uh, brand in the world. Um, and, and while I was there, it was an incredible company to work for. And I learned a, a lot about um, how to connect with kids through entertainment. Um, I mean, it, Nickelodeon is a fantastic company for really, really caring about what they make and making sure that what they make is, is great. Um, but I also I, I learned a lot there just about storytelling, about dialogue, um, about design, about illustration and so on. Um, and so... Um, yeah, probably about five years ago. Uh, and I've always sort of liked to have side projects as well. Um, even though you know, being a full-time producer and parent was very, very busy. But I, I thought um, I, I really wanted to um, basically see if I could transfer and translate what I'd learnt 
working as a TV producer into the written word. Um, and so I tried to take everything that I'd learned as a, as a kid's TV producer and put it into a book and try to take the same uh, techniques of storytelling, of character development and so on, um, and turn it into a book um, book form. And uh, the main thing I actually found was that, um, you know, uh, I actually needed to probably describe more was the first thing. Because obviously on, on TV, when you're script writing, <laughs> you leave it all to the visuals. You don't worry about, um, you know, what, what's going on in the scenery and costume and all that sort of thing. Um, and so the first draft of the Turners was very, very lean. Uh, and then I, I had to sort of build it out more from there. Yeah. Um, so it was great. It was actually great to be able to tra- translate and take some of um, my learnings from being a kid's TV producer. And it was also just the discipline of writing as well. Um, I know um, one wonderful Australian author, Deb Abella, comes from a similar background. Background, and I've heard her talk about the idea that as a producer, you just have deadlines. You just have to hit them. Like you don't have any choice. Like you have to get that show on the air every afternoon, every week, or whatever it is. Um, and it was certainly the same for me at Nickelodeon. So it was actually nice to have, have experienced that discipline and be able to put that into the writing process. To go, okay, well, I have to have this done, and no matter what, every night I'm going to write for an hour or two hours, or whatever it might be, and just get it done, and not not sort of pontificate or worry about you know whether it's perfect or whether it's right or just get on with it you know. so you always meet your deadlines um <laughs> look, <laughs> mostly mostly um <laughs> i don't know do, do i have time to indulge you in a brief story i am um, yes, uh, i'm actually I'm, I'm very very disciplined with my deadlines mm-hmm. however um just on <laughs> on the current book uh, everything was going great i was all ready to, to have it done i had a, like a month left to get it finished and then uh my wife and i finally caved in uh and um to our kids request for a puppy oh. and uh, we got them a gorgeous gorgeous toy caroodle Toy I saw it on Instagram and I was just oh. basically stalking it. Oh, it's so, <laughs> such a gorgeous, so cool. uh, such a gorgeous little puppy. Has its own Instagram account, actually. Uh, Gypsy the Toy Caroodle, if you want to follow it. <laughs> anyway, um, first night we had it. It's barking like crazy. Um, it's raining outside and clearly it needed to do its business. And I uh, could see it was about to do its business on the rug. And so I scooped it up. Uh, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm clenching it with both hands very, you know, very, very carefully. I've run to the back door, burst the back door opened pouring with rain i start running down the back steps you know, cradling the puppy and our back steps are super slippery no. and my feet have flown forward i could not break my fall with my hands because i was holding the puppy and so i've come down hard on on my ribs and snapped two ribs ended up in hospital for two days and on painkillers for a month and literally barely able to sit, let alone write or illustrate. I don't and know so, where I thought the story mm, was going, but I didn't no, think it was going no. that. That's terrible. The, the, I should mention uh, the puppy was absolutely fine. Okay, I got a little bit wet. <laughs> the puppy was absolutely fine. Um, not I so was much not, you. Yeah, I, I ended up in an ambulance on hardcore painkillers and, and so I kept on, again, hash it were fantastic, but I kept on having distant and these notes going, I'm still drawing. It's really painful. I'm always there. That is a very, very legitimate reason. Yeah, <laughs> I would have to have seen your illustrations from the time, just really spaced out, high concept. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing with ribs. For anyone that's broken a rib, like, you can't set it. You can't bandage it in any way. You literally... The doctors basically just prescribe you intense painkillers, which are awful because they mess with your brain and hate them. Um, but it was actually, yeah, I mean, it, it might have... I don't know. I mean, I was drawing the second book at the time. Maybe some of the second book illustrations <laughs> reflect... But I was on prescribed painkillers. I don't know. I really thought you <laughs> the book is about space, so you know, anything could happen. Yeah. 
And speaking of your Instagram, yes, um, Squidge has met a lot of famous people. Yes, so uh, <laughs> yes, you can check my Instagram out on at what mixor. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, the, I, I have such a conflicted relationship with social media mm. um, in that I, you know, I don't like the oversharing. I don't like the constant taking selfies of meals and holidays <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, as an author, you, you do need to do it and you do need to promote um, your books. But but I really. You know, again, this is something I learned uh, working in, in uh, the creative team at Nickelodeon is that if you're going to put content out there, you've got to actually make sure that it's mm. offering something to the audience. So um, so when I started promoting the Turners and I started to promote myself as an author, I thought, I'm, I'm not just going to simply just put pictures of myself at my laptop going, oh, I wrote 10,000 words today. Because <laughs> yeah. that's that's not really offering. I mean, mm. maybe there's people that are interested in that stuff, but I thought, okay, let's instead, let's actually do something that's a bit more visual. So... Um, with the Turners, I did a thing called Bookalikes where I'd take a picture of someone, I'd find a picture of a famous person with a book and then I'd kind of dodgily uh, you know, replicate it um, with myself holding my own book. Um, and with Screech, I thought, well, he's, he's, you know, he's a, such a, a funny, bendy cartoon character. Let's actually um, uh, basically have him photobomb a whole lot of celebrities. So I've been um, slowly working away on various shots of him photobombing different celebrity events and so on. And, um, I particularly getting... enjoy the ones with the Queen. Yes. I liked how oh, she's so excited about it. It was on the Iron Throne. Uh, yes, but, well, I, I, that's the other thing. I mean, I, I, you know, you try as much as possible with social to make it, you know, make it current. Mm-hmm. So um, everything that I put on on at what Mixor, I try to go okay with what it's the Queen's birthday weekend. So let's put some photos of Squidge hanging out with Queen Elizabeth. Or He's got his fingers on the pulse. That's Squidge. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. But, um, yeah, that, that's the thing. I, I just try to make it fun for for people that are uh, you know keen to have a look at the at the uh, at the feet. Yeah. We are kind of running short on time, so I just have a couple of like quick fire ah, questions. Fantastic! I'll keep them short. Good. <laughs> yes, but... I do. I do gab on, don't I? Anyway, no, yes. No, that's great. that is one hundred percent why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear it. <laughs> okay. So, what is the last book you read and adored? Oh gosh. Um, well, I I'd probably have to say uh, Karen Foxley's wonderful <laughs> Lenny's book of everything. Um, it's like which the second is, time this week. Yeah, that. it's honestly Such one of those. Book. I mean, I I um, yeah, I had to sit up all night sobbing. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's amazing, and, and you know, full kudos to her, and, and it deserves all the success it gets because it's an incredible, incredible. Book. That's probably the last one uh, awesome. that I read and just absolutely adored. That's such a good choice. Where do you write and illustrate, and at what time of day? Ah, um, well, when I was, uh, it's a, a double prong answer. When I was working full time, uh, I would just write wherever I could on the bus, on the train, at the lunch table, in bed at night. Um, nowadays, like I do actually have a writing desk, but the writing desk is actually now in the room which the puppy lives in. And that's impossible, <laughs> especially when we first got it, she kept on peeing all around me. So now pretty much just on the kitchen table. That's all you need. Just your laptop and a table, you know, if you think you're being a writer. Yeah. Look for a, you know, special Perfect room. Just, just yeah. desk, laptop, get on with it. <laughs> um, what's the first thing you do when you deliver a finished book? Um, I don't have any sort of victory dance or anything. Um, but I, to be honest, I'm usually so focused on the next thing because there's, there's, there's so much stuff to do. There's always, whether it's like, yeah, 
financial admin or whether it's a publicity thing or whether it's um, starting sketches for the new book or approving or, or giving feedback on um, covers. So I'm usually just like, good, done, next thing. You know? <laughs> uh, so I also still work as a, as a freelance um, TV and documentary producer, so I'm also juggling that work as well. So mm-hmm. I wish I had time to, you know, and I don't drink. Uh, I'm diabetic, so I don't eat cake. So <laughs> all the kind of traditional celebrations that you might do. I'm just got on, on I the like next the idea thing. of a victory dance. Yeah, maybe I, I should. Yeah, about that next yeah, time. <laughs> maybe my kids would hate it. Dad, don't. Oh, so All the more reason. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the first person that you let read your work? My wife. So my my wonderful wife Karen um, worked for uh, almost twenty years in the publishing industry as an editor and as a publisher, and um, I'm so lucky to have her input. Uh, so she uh, would usually look at the first uh, full draft uh, before then I make some changes and send it off to my uh, amazing publisher Susanna Sullivan. So yeah. Awesome. Uh, what's your favourite children's book? Oh, that's such a hard question. Well, it's probably going to be Squidge Dibley Destroys the Scroll, <laughs> available now from Booktopia. Um, so many. I mean, I, I loved uh, Roald Dahl when I was growing up. I mean, everybody does. But I particularly love his, his first biography, Boy. Um, I just think he's fantastic, um, absolutely brilliant. Um, but, you know, there are so many. We are so spoiled here in Australia especially. There are so many talented Australian authors. You know, people like Jessica Townsend and her wonderful mm-hmm. Nevermore series. Alison Tate, uh, who has an amazing fantasy series. She's incredible. Um, you know, and then we have people like Oliver Pomervain, whose books are hilarious and, and write, um, you know, really, he writes really great stories from, um, you know, uh, the, you know, suburbs and, and, and certain schools, and they're brilliant. Um, you know, Jackie Harvey is amazing. I love what she does. Tim Harris is incredible. Um, you know, it's just such a, you know, um, such a great, great collection of Australian authors. It's so hard mm-hmm. to go that you know, this is one. I loved Kate and Joel Temple's Room on the Rock. That book's amazing. Um, yeah, so I don't, I, it's really, really hard to say. I've just got one. It's a hard question. <laughs> it's a hard question. And, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, in awe to be able to sort of roughly rub shoulders with all of those legends. They're brilliant. Awesome. Uh, favourite writing snack? Favourite writing snack? A cup of Earl Grey tea, probably. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really into those little, like, um, uh, bounce ball things that you get that are, like, um, cashew nuts and dates. And little, yeah, yeah, they're like uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, usually one of those and a cup of tea. Yeah. What is the nicest thing that anyone's ever said about your writing? Um, you can humble brag right now. No, oh, that's why it's so hard. <laughs> well, to just like the brag. best thing a kid's ever said. Do, do, do you know the, the the best feedback I, I ever get? And I had this happen so many times with my previous series, The Turners, and, and I've, I've already actually seen it a little bit with some of the proofs that went out of Squidge Dibley. Uh, and it's usually a parent, and they'll usually say, "My son normally doesn't like books." he just stayed up all night reading this or he cannot stop reading this. When is the next one available? Um, so to hear that is just fantastic. That's just what fantastic you're in because, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, there are kids out there that read all, and that's fantastic. We know, we know they're going to be engaged. But when I get those um, notes from parents, I got one from the, from America once, a, a, a father had picked up a copy of the first Turner's book, um, which is only available here in Australia. And he wrote, you know, he had taken it home. He's like, how can I get the other two books? My son loves these books. And, you know, they wanted me to send them copies over to America. So. That's so beautiful. So, yeah. <laughs> and finally, what is one bit of writing advice that stuck with you? I, I would say just, um, just, just get on with it. Don't, um, don't polish as you go. Um, I, I wish I could remember the name of the author that told me this, but treat the first draft as draft zero. You're literally just getting words on the page. And once you've got words on the page, then start polishing. Don't try to make it perfect from the first 
draft. Mm-hmm. Um, my first drafts are a mess, um, but that's fine. Once you've got something, then you polish, then you start fixing things up. Um, and don't, you know, don't wait, wait for the right moment to write. Just, just do it. Just treat it like a job. Um, enjoy it. Don't be too hard on yourself while you're writing as well. Like it's easy to get into a dark space when you don't hit your word count or you're not getting that publishing contract yet. Just also enjoy it. Just because that, that enjoyment, that, that love of writing will actually come out on the page. That's great advice. It really is great. <laughs> well, I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for coming in, Mick. It's been, this has so, been great fun. It's been lovely meeting you both here at Booktopia HQ. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And you can get your copy of Squidge Dibley Destroys the School from your local bookshop or online at booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.